York City, trauma code to WBAI. I am Dr. Simon Fitzgerald, a Brooklyn trauma surgeon and surgical intensivist. And I am Dr. Cassandra Raphael, an adult and child psychiatrist. Welcome to Trauma Code. Together we will focus on healing of mind, body, and community from trauma. We'll discuss how wellness fits into the culture at large. Join us on Monday at 2 p.m. on WBAI. Trauma Code. This is uh, Dr. Simon Fitzgerald in studio. Sorry for the little hiccup at the beginning. That music, of course, was Christmas in Hollis by Run DMC. Spending a bunch of time out in Queens, so that uh, felt like home to me. Uh, Dr. Raphael cannot be in studio today. Unfortunately, the, the kids are sick and need some attention, and one of us had to had to take one for the team. So she's got this one, and I got next. Uh, but I'm excited today we have on in a little bit someone that uh, WBAI listeners might be very familiar with, uh, Mr. Dave Zirin, who is one of the most important sports, sports journalists uh, in the country, in my opinion, certainly on the intersection of sports and politics. He sort of wrote his way into a genre that, that seemed like it hardly existed before um, he began. So... Uh, we're going to be working on getting him on the air in the next five or ten minutes. But uh, in the meantime, of course, uh, we're getting towards the end of the year. So as Reggie was just uh, reminding us, now is a great time to put in those end-of-the-year donations to keep our uh, station up and running, to keep our show up and running. If you appreciate Trauma Code, we appreciate you. And uh, putting the money in to keep this going is, is of course, terribly necessary. Um, and that number, again, is 212-209-2950. And you can also give online at WBAI.org or give to WBAI.org. Uh, um, and, of course, since the last show, I guess we've seen the end of the, uh, of the World Cup, the Argentines uh, uh, with uh, taking the championship. Um, there may be a lot to say about that. I don't know if we'll have time to get into that with Dave Zirin. Um, uh, maybe I'll save a little bit of that uh, for when we have him on the air. Um, and uh, um, 
So as uh, as we're uh, getting ready towards the end of the year, definitely it's cold out. Everybody stay warm. Hopefully you didn't have your pipes freezing at your house. We had a little mishap. Luckily the pipe didn't burst. Um, but um, definitely stay warm and, and keep you know keep your lookout for others uh, who are struggling to stay warm and to stay fed right now. It's a hard time for everybody. Um, so I think that having that Christmas spirit, you know, that Christmas song intro, that uh, whatever you have to say about about those rituals, that spirit of kind of generosity and kindness and light in the darkness and warmth, I think uh, is so important at this time of the year. And we can all definitely um, get into and get excited about that. So while, while we work to get uh, Dave Zyron on the air, why don't we put on one more song, get us uh, in, the, in the mindset for his... Welcome back to Trauma Code. This is Dr. Simon Fitzgerald on the air uh, in studio on WBAI in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, We'll be joined shortly by Dave Zirin, uh, host of the Edge of Sports Sports show, as well as he co-hosts the show in D.C. on our our sister station, WPFW, with Eton Thomas. Um, called The Collision, uh, and I believe he's now the editor, the sports editor uh, at The Nation magazine. Um, and uh, my history goes back with him. I've known Dave since probably about the year 2000 uh, when I was a student at the University of Maryland. I knew him uh, selling uh, selling socialist newspapers, and he probably had a job at that time at the local Prince George's County uh, paper on the sports desk there. Um, so it's been exciting really to see him 
uh, right his way into the um, right his way into a place in journalism as a historian, as an author of numerous books. Um, and uh, what we're going to talk about today is uh, he is behind a new documentary, really focusing on the NFL uh, as an institution uh, historically, and and it's really. Uh, and we'll get into that in a little bit with him, but uh, really persistent um, kind of uh, criticism, really, basically, uh, of uh, of the NFL. And he's the first one that I remember drawing attention to the Kaepernick um, issue, where he wasn't was not getting hired to a football team as a quarterback, despite being just a couple of years out, leaving, leading the 49ers to the Super Bowl, um, was unable to get a job. Every every episode, it seemed like he'd have the Kaepernick watch. And sort of incidentally, a really good friend of mine, a uh, classmate in middle school English in Northwest Baltimore, Angel Williams, was uh, invited by Ava DuVernay to direct uh, an episode of her series on uh, Netflix, um, Colin in Black and White, I think was the name of it. She, my friend, uh, directed episode five. So definitely, uh, if you're uh, have a chance to look that up on on uh, on Netflix, um, definitely have that personal connection to that, and and encourage you to do so. You know, seeing the Argentine national team and Messi win the uh, win the World Cup, I had uh, kind of the opportunity to spend about a month in Argentina. Uh, almost way back then in 2003, um, and one of the uh, kind of cultural phenomenon in Argentina that many people are not uh, aware of um, is uh, is actually an Italian uh, beverage, an Italian uh, aperitif fed net. Um, uh, very interestingly, one of the uh, most popular beverages in Argentina made in Milan, and uh, almost their entire market uh, is in South America. So if you have a chance to have some Fernet with Coca-Cola, definitely, uh, I, I encourage you to do that. Uh, while we deal with a little bit of technical difficulty, why don't we uh, play one more song that we have uh, while we get everything set up. When the world turned its back on me, I was up against the wall. I had no foundation, no friends or no family to catch my fall. Running on empty, was nothing left in me but doubt. I picked up a pen and I wrote my way. I picked up the pen like Hamilton, street analyst. Now I write words to try to channel them. No political power, just lyrical power. Sitting on a crate on the corner, sipping for hours. Scheming on a come up from evening to sun up. My man awaiting trial. Misdemeanors were younger. Courtroom prejudice, insufficient evidence. Jailhouse lawyers, these images still relevant. Flickering light inside my project hall. Sickening the mice crawl all night long. In 87 Reaganism, many pages I've written on. Writing songs about rights and wrongs and bells, bronze. Master bedroom, bigger than the crib that I was raised at. I'm the architect like I wrote the code, the ways app. I'm driven. Black Elohim from the streets of Queens. The definition of what it was written means. Know what I mean? I wrote my way When the world turned its back on me, I was up against the wall. I had no foundation, no friends and no family to catch my fall. Running on empty, there was nothing left in me but doubt. I picked up a pen. 
and I wrote my way out. I really wrote my way up out of 60. Develop relationships with fiends. I know they miss me. Before the Metro cars, it was tokens. I did the 10 speed. Never had rode a rhyme in my life. What was a 16 and 16? Arrested in house and tripped to the mountains. Came right back. Trapping off couches, watching for mouses. Only tools we was posed with. Had a spot smoke lit. The hate is just confusion. Pay attention how them jokes switch. Theodora was my favorite. The Mark Buchanan's mama couldn't afford them. I learned everything on the border. That's a big eight. Pre-code parties with private dancers with no mixtape. Bumblebee tuna, now we can get steak. I persevered. Composition, I kept it close. Competition near. I'm a Spartan without the spear. 300 rounds. It was written before I wrote it. Opportunity knocking. Might miss it. That window closing. This poetry in motion. I'm a poet. When the world turned its back on me, I was up against the wall. I had no foundation. No friends or no family to catch my fall. In my dual cassette deck Running out of time Like I'm Jonathan Lawson's rent check My mind is where the wild things are Maurice Sendak In withdrawal I want it all Please give me that pen back Y'all I caught my first beating From the other kids When I was caught reading Oh you think you small Black start bleeding The pops tried in vain To get me to fight back Sister tapped my brain Said Psh, you'll get him right back Oversensitive Defenseless I made sense of it My pencil in the lengths To which I go To learn my strengths And knock them senseless These sentences are endless So what if they leave me friendless Damn you got no chill Right I'm Relentless. I know Abuela's never really gonna win the lottery So it's up to me to draw blood with this pen hidden artery This Puerto Rican's brains are leaking through the speakers And if he can be the shining beacon The side of the GW being shine a light when it's gray out I wrote my way out Oh, I was born in the eye of the storm No loving arms to keep me warm This hurricane in my brain is the burden I bear I can do without Really, I saw like a, a hole in the rap game. So if I wanted to put my little two cents in the game, then it would be from a different perspective. I thought that I would represent for my neighborhood and tell their story, be their voice in a way that nobody has done it. Tell the real story. Welcome back to Trauma Code. This is Simon Fitzgerald. Uh, the Knife at the Gunfight host of Trauma Code, my co-host, Dr. Cassandra Raphael, has to be out of studio today, uh, taking care of the little ones. Um, and uh, we have every intention of bringing the uh, professional sports and politics journalist Dave Zirin on the air today. He's confirmed, but I'm having trouble getting him on the air right now. Dave, you're killing me. You're leaving me in the lurch if you're listening. Um, but... Uh, in the meantime, uh, I'm, uh, I want to give it another try. We had, a, I believe it was our last episode that we invited uh, phone calls in, and, and that was a little bit rocky, but now maybe is another time to give it a shot. Um, and particularly on this topic of uh, sports, trauma, and culture. Um, but anything that if you want to hear on Trauma Code that you haven't heard of, definitely we'll invite your calls on right now at uh, 212 209 uh, 2877 again 212 209 
800-227-2877. Again, you are listening to Trauma Code on WBAI uh, in New York City. Uh, and we've been talking about uh, the collision of uh, sports and politics and sports and trauma uh, and the new f- uh, film uh, by Dave Zirin called Behind the Shield uh, about a lot of those topics um, in specifically uh, within the NFL um, issues around uh, the um, intersection of militarism and promotion of, uh, of war by the NFL, racism and segregation, uh, historically going back. Um, and interestingly, you know, this comes out in the documentary, the NFL was founded actually as an integrated league well before uh, baseball and a lot of other American sports. Um, but then there was collusion by the ownership led by the owner of the Washington Football Club, which was renamed as the Washington Redskins, which has its own racist baggage. Uh, to Okay, I think we got him. Oh, we got Dave on the line. Dave, can you? Yo. Hello, hello. Are you there? Thanks for joining us, Dave Zirin, in studio, oh. joining us on Trauma Code. So glad to hear. I was, I was uh, doing both sides of a conversation for a minute there, so I'm so happy to hear your voice. Man, I'm happy to be on. I was having some trouble with the connect. Uh, the snowstorm has messed a lot of things up here in the cold, but you know we're getting through. And I'm so thrilled you're talking about beyond, uh, behind the shield because it was a it was a labor of love. It was sometimes really tough to make as well, facing a lot of things about the sport that sometimes you don't want to face. And I appreciate you giving it a little bit of shine. Well, and uh, I before you came on the air, I was talking, and, and it's worth saying it uh, to your ears, uh, that I've known you since about the year 2000 uh, when you were just kind of selling newspapers on the University of Maryland campus. Um, and one of the songs, we, we had two songs on, I think, that were relevant uh, before you came in. One was... Wow, we really do have difficulty with the connection. Yeah, here. I don't think it's I don't think it's uh it's with me with uh, uh, over here. It's over his end. I think his he said that um he was experiencing a snowstorm of sorts, so he could be a victim of where technology. I'm back. Okay, he seems like he's back. Again. <laughs> okay, thanks, Reggie. It's so, going to be the, what what a nightmare. Yes, we've known each other since 2000. And the point uh, I wanted to make is I really appreciate how you've wrote. You've written your own way into sports journalism and creating a role which almost didn't exist before. All right, so then um, tell us then a little bit. You know, the the, the movie has a lot of themes, militarism, racism, segregation, uh, violence towards the players. What is the crux around understanding how you see the NFL? Yes. Where do we begin? Oh, man, where do we begin? Where do you think we begin? I mean, it's... uh... It's a hell of a thing to unwind. Um, I mean, I think the foundation is understanding the intersection of the NFL and patriotism. And I think once you unravel that and what patriotism means in a society like this, I think a lot of other things come into much very clear relief. Right. And and that word patriotism, I think, is uh, is changes very much in the in the eyes and ears of who's saying and, and hearing it. And I think particularly within the NFL, and, and this comes across in your in your film, uh, it's really about the militarism and, you know, where we see a lot of these militaristic rituals come up are in support of military efforts, right, in Vietnam, in the first Iraq war, uh, in, F- in the, the second uh, Iraq war in Afghanistan, right? Would you say that's correct? Absolutely. And, you know, in the United States, we don't like to talk about this, but there's a political history of something that was once called social patriotism. 
uh, which is this idea that, you know, you show love for country by preserving wildlife, by creating union jobs, by uh, basically creating a social democratic society in the United States. And they, they called that social patriotism. There are a lot of flaws with it. We don't have to get into that. Uh, the NFL is not about social patriotism. Uh, the NFL has been about a very right-wing edge of patriotism that, as you said, is deeply entwined with militarism. And it is engaged on this project. I mean, it, this goes back decades. And in the film, we really root it in the commissionership of Pete Rozelle in that period during the Vietnam War where there was this strong effort uh, to make the NFL stand for basically the 1950s in the late 1960s. And uh, we are old America. And so therefore it was inherently reactionary uh, in terms of how it dealt with a younger audience. And, you know, I remember this is a slightly off topic, but I remember during sort of the height of the pandemic in 2020, there was this really bizarre thing where the military did these uh, flyovers to support the the hospitals or something. And I remember being like kind of upset about it, and I had difficulty articulating why. And I think your movie uh, kind of uh, grounding the history of, of that uh, ritual in support of the Vietnam War at a time where it was very unpopular, to me kind of really brought out why that was so offensive. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's so interesting, though, to do a little compare and contrast about how the NFL responded to the war in Vietnam and how the NFL has responded in the wake of uh, the 2020 demonstrations after the police murder of George Floyd. Because while both historical eras contained strong reactionary forces in the United States, um, it feels like today... They're, and I talk about this in the doc, that they're trying to appeal to young people. You know, like people have – and racism is written in the end zones. And there's all this kind of corporate branding to say we are anti-racist, even if that offends the center right-wing majority that imbibes in the National Football League. Because I think they are concerned about that younger generation in a way that's a little bit more fluid and nuanced – um, and frankly, a little bit more devious than the way Pete Rozelle was looking at that young generation in the late 60s. And, and what I got from, from your movie uh, is that right now we see in the NFL kind of the, the, the window dressing uh, in support of these things, whereas the policies are very much um, uh, you know, furthering segregation and racism and, and militarism, as you mentioned. And for people who are just joining us, uh, we're on WBAI. The show is Trauma Code, and I have our guest Dave Zirin talking about his uh, new film, Behind the Shield, uh, about uh, the NFL and, and its problematic relationship to militarism, racism, and violence, among other things. Uh, but Dave, first of all, how do people find and, and, and view your film? Uh, go to BehindTheShieldMovie.com uh, is a great place to do it. Um, that'll show you all the different streaming services that are covering it in case there's one that works better with you and yours. But definitely um, go to BehindTheShieldMovie.com and it'll show you how you can see the movie. And I was saying before you, you hopped on, we had uh, the Whitney Houston rendition of uh, the national anthem, uh, which kind of played an important uh role in in your film and kind of demonstrating how the the NFL wrapped up um 
kind of popular culture, including black culture, into a very militaristic pro-war um, facade with, you know, not only the flags and the military flyover, but the uh, people in uniform. And this was very much and even said to be in support of the, uh, right, the Desert Storm or Desert Shield, whatever they were calling it at the time. Oh, man. So anything, yeah, that's exactly... <laughs> anything else you want to say about that and the cultural piece and the role that the NFL plays in that in, in our culture? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the NFL of today is extremely savvy uh, in terms of how it tries to represent black culture as if it is even a part of black culture while maintaining uh, white ownership and white power, particularly white billionaire power. Right. And not only the ownership uh, and, you point out, but also the management and the sort of the managerial management class and the coaching ranks as well. It's disgraceful down the line other than the people who actually are sacrificing their bodies uh, for this sport. And, of course, there's a whole section in the film about the, the physical and mental toll that playing this game places on the athlete that is, frankly, somewhat unique on the American sports landscape right? in terms of what it's asking people to put their bodies through right. for the purpose of playing this sport. And, and we know even the casual NFL fan probably knows the average uh, length of the uh, career for an NFL player is about three years, right? So That is correct, three years, which also makes it very difficult to organize the players. Right. Because imagine if you're going on strike for one season, for example, right, that's or a even half a season. That's probably about a quarter of the amount of money that you will make over the course of your entire life. Certainly Not just your, your career, career, but your life. So, and, and you know, this may be a little bit behind baseball, but on, on your show, I think even your, you have your son come on and, and give uh, sort of predictions for NFL games. You, you, uh, you're clearly a fan, or at least you have fans in your family. How do you reconcile this? Are well, you a fan? I mean, it's very hard uh, because, yeah, my son does love football, and I, of course, want to both educate my son, and, of course, he's seen the film about what he's watching, so he's an informed viewer. And then, you know, he's I'm trying to have him make his own choices on this. And uh, that, that, that's, you know, the, just more like the kind of parent I'm trying to be. I'm trying to get him to figure this stuff out organically and support him in what he likes in the short term while also trying to show him other ways to look at the issue. Wow. And uh, you'll ne let us know how much time you have to, to join with us. But one of the other things maybe is worth talking about. I mentioned before you came on uh, Colin Kaepernick, who is kind of a central figure in understanding the um, kind of the role, very central, the role of the NFL um, and its interaction uh, with protest and the public and issues of race and violence. Um, and you can talk more about that, but I also appreciate there's, you know, uh, what I learned from you is, is that prehistory before there was maybe that, at least that I know about sports journalists that focused on politics the way that you did before players had social media in which they could control their own narrative, right? There were other players, um, and in this documentary, you mentioned David Megacy, and if there's any mm -hmm. other, uh, important uh, figures that are somewhat lost to history that you want to bring out. I think it's a good time to do that. Oh, my goodness. I mean, yeah, the NFL has its history of rebels like any sport does. Uh, and Dave Megacy is the one, though, who back in the late 60s did not stand for the anthem. And, at the, and also uh, he was somebody who walked away from the NFL. You know, most people leave the NFL because they're limping. 
um, you know, they leave with a limp um, and or a headache. And Dave Megacy left by his own volition because he thought that the league, correctly, I would say, he thought that the league was uh, buttressing support for the war in Vietnam, which he opposed vehemently. I mean, what, what a principled reason to walk away. Imagine a player walking away during the war on terror, specifically for this very reason, the so-called war on terror. And I should, um, I should have looked this up. I imagine, is he still around or he's passed? Dave is still with us. I'm wow. in contact with Dave. He, he's amazing. Does he have a relationship with Kaepernick, do you know? Uh, well, they've communicated, certainly, but Colin keeps uh, a sort of very close counsel in this regard. Uh, and I think Colin Kaepernick is so important for understanding a lot of what we've seen at the intersection of sports and politics. Now, it's important to point out that he wasn't the first by any means of the athletes to be inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, that had been going on for several years, and you see that on, you saw that on social media posts and even athletes showing up at rallies and making statements. So even demonstrations on the field were seen before Kaepernick. But that taking a knee during the anthem so powerful and such a direct confrontation, not just to police violence and racial inequity, but really the whole premise of patriotism to go back to that discussion. Yeah. Like, he, as Colin said, how can I show pride in a flag uh, where police officers are getting away with murder? And I was uh, not to cut you off, but I was struck. I remember there was like a moment that season where every Sunday we were looking to see Who's going to take a knee? How are they going to deal with this? What? Yes. And right before the NFL kind of banned everyone from doing it, everybody took a knee, including, I recall, Jerry Jones, who it comes out yes. was standing at the top of the stairs in Little Rock preventing the integration yes. of his school. Amazing, isn't it? And Jerry Jones, also, I would add that his business practices over the decades show that the Apple hasn't fallen too far from the tree of that 14-year-old. Right. And, and so I, I sort of brushed over that, but we all remember the, the, the drama of integrating schools in Little Rock, Arkansas. And it's come out in the last year that Jerry Jones, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, took an active role in preventing the integration of his school in Little Rock. Yeah, and it's gotten a ton more publicity in the last month because of a photo that was produced where Jerry Jones... I mean, I, I'm not trying to uh, be rude when I say this, but Jerry Jones has had a lot of plastic surgery over the years. So his face now, as an 80-year-old man, really does kind of look like <laughs> his face as a 14-year-old. Oh, I'm being totally sincere about this. So when you look at that 14-year-old face, it's Jerry Jones. And it, I, my, my characterization is accurate. Yeah, is there any controversy about his role in that moment? Uh, the only controversy is why he won't speak about it now or offer some sort of apology or explanation. That's the controversy. It's clear what he did, and it's clear what he was doing. And it actually prevented the integration of that particular school by another near decade. Wow. I mean, so you're talking about something that actively – I mean, they were successful in their white reactionary riot. And it, it's just amazing to me that people like Stephen A. Smith – leading voice at ESPN uh, is giving him a pass on this. Wild. Um, and so, 
yeah, I guess then how do we how do we reconcile that? And then him taking a knee, uh, I guess that was a oh. very disingenuous uh, co-option of the of the symbolism before they tried to shut down the whole thing. Well, it had to happen because Donald Trump called the NFL players SOBs and said very racist things about the NFL players. And after and it was an, the infamous speech by Trump in Huntsville, Alabama, to a screaming crowd. And it was during the NFL season, and the players were about to revolt. I mean, there could have been mass strikes across the league that next weekend. I mean, trust me, I was talking to players left and right at this time. The level of political pissed-offness was just off the meter. I think inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement without question, and by the vitriol of Trump as well. I mean, they just couldn't believe what they were hearing. And so someone like Jerry Jones and people like Dan Snyder, who didn't take a knee, but he linked arms with other players, I mean, they had to do something. They were put in a position where they really had no choice. And that's why Jerry Jones took that knee and smirked at the camera, by the way, when he did it. Wow. So, you know, where does that leave us in... 2022 with the with the knowledge i guess almost 2023 right with the knowledge we have about characters like you know don snyder and his and you go into this in your film the history of mis not just racism but misogyny at uh yeah and and violence against women uh at in his organization which uh in the end of the day they had to change the name from the redskins with all that uh, racist historical badge baggage and you know you go into this that it's not just like a racist term for an Indian person, right? But it was describing the Redskins were the proof of life for people who had murdered Indians on contract that to bring back and get paid for that was the Redskins. Yep. So, so that's exactly right. I mean, and I think what we have to do is hold these franchise owners to account. And this is something I've been talking about for years. We actually need a political program to go after these franchise owners. I mean, they, they strip mine our cities of public funds for stadiums. They rule over, in some cases, extremely toxic workplaces. And I think making demands about what they give back to the community and how they uh, engage with actually overcoming the misogyny that's been so endemic in the league – for so many decades, I think that that's our task. And I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but what's what's the realistic? Uh, what does that look like? You know, if we can't even get Jerry no. Jones to admit that he kept his uh, school segregated for ten years, um, what does that even look like to, to to hold these powerful institutions and their ownership to account? Well, I don't think you're being a Debbie Downer at all, Simon, because I think that's actually kind of the key question here. <laughs> And I think, first of all, you do have to have a vision of what you want to do. Because it's like, what should we do? Well, this is what we should do. And then you have to start thinking, how do we get there step by step? And I think the start really is with some of the, first of all, taking inspiration from this last wave of players uh, who were willing to be political. But then also at the same time, um, I think we got to keep up the pressure at the very least on social media um, and in the press. Uh, to demand that uh, at the starting point, Jerry Jones have to answer for what he did um, low the many years ago. Um, and and it you know it strikes me that you know the players have uh, a potentially a lot of power 
um, in this moment. And I guess that's what the NFL was so scared about that you talked about. Um, and even though uh, Kaepernick has not had the opportunity to play another NFL game uh, since that season, he has remained an important cultural force, right? And his voice, uh, and I was just mentioning before you came on, a friend of mine from middle school English was one of the guest directors on the Colin in Black and White series that Aver DuVernay produced for Netflix. But he had he had a voice in that, was able to speak for himself in a way um, that a, that a lot of players haven't previously. So what I'm is back? Um, but the point is that Kaepernick has a, a a cultural voice, and other players may as well. Do we see something coming out of that? Is that is that a wave that is going to rise and fall, or, or is there a yes. chance for them to lead in, in this movement? It's going to rise and fall. It's going to ebb and flow. People are going to have to be patient with it. But I also think another wave up is going to be inevitable because of the broader social crises that I think the league um, is going to be forced to contend with around the issues that we do raise in the film. But Shoot, now I'm at the point where I do have to run, though. I'm so okay. sorry, Simon. No problem. And so we've been talking to Dave Zirin about his film, Behind the Shield. Anything else you want to say before you wrap up with us? Uh, just that I'd love to come back sometime. Um, I'm working on some other stuff, and it would be great to chop it up with you again. Definitely. If you're in uh, Brooklyn, you're always welcome in the studio. Oh, excellent. God, right. I'm going to hold you to that. All right. Sounds good. Thank you for joining with us, Dave. Appreciate you overcoming the difficulties to, to phone in today. <laughs> I'm so sorry, dude. No problem. I owe you one on that front, Got too. Got you. I'm going to hold you to it, but it's good to hear you good. always. All the best. All right. So that was, uh, again, Dave Zirin, Edge of Sports, uh, talking about his film, Behind the Shield, which you can find online streaming on numerous platforms. I saw it on a new platform I'd never used before called Tubi or Tubby. Um, just to stream it straight to my phone. Tubi, uh, Tubi uh, Reggie is telling me. Well, it's really a, a relentless critique of the NFL and, and how it wields its power, basically. Um, and uh, I guess the point we're getting at is what does it look like to hold these powerful institutions to account and get them uh, to kind of pay up uh, for the health of our... <clears throat> excuse me, for the health of the players in our cities. Um and uh, I, I missed the opportunity to get uh, a recommendation from him because he ran up against the end of his time. The two recommendations I had given earlier was the Colin and Black and White series. Uh, episode 5 was the one that was produced or directed by a friend of mine. And uh, if you are of age and drink alcohol, the uh, uh, Italian aperitif, which is extremely popular in Argentina and I'm sure is drank more in Argentina than in Europe, is called Fednet. I like to drink that with Coca-Cola. But um, those are my two kind of cultural recommendations uh, as we get close to wrapping up the show. Um, and uh, I think we have one more song on uh, to end up with. Uh, but before we do, remember again, the edge of, uh, rather the end of Europe uh, pledges in support of the station and support of the work we do, right? I volunteer my time, but there are people who we need to pay in order to keep the uh, to keep everything running, we need to pay for the heat, we need to pay our rent, we need to pay for the uh, transmitter um, in order to continue the uh, historic legacy uh, and important cultural institution that is WBAI. And I'm Dr. Simon Fitzgerald, and I'm really honored to be able to uh, run Trauma Code on BAI and be a part of that history. And so uh, I'm also going to be, at the end of the show, giving my end-of-the-year donation in support of the station because I value so much the work that it does. And again, that's 212-209-2950, or you can 
give to wbai.org. That's the number two, give to wbai.org. Uh, and again, you can uh, reach me. I'm still on uh, Twitter. Uh, I've decided I'll probably stay on that uh, platform. We can get into that a little bit later. Um, but I'll be looking for some other social media. Um, probably going to be opening up an Instagram page as well. But uh, <clears throat> And you can uh, also reach me by email on trauma code WBAI at gmail.com, on Twitter at trauma code WBAI. Um, and, um, and you can also find us online on the, on the WBAI.org.
together 